Chapter 3 of Will Warburton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Will Warburton by George Gissing. Chapter 3 The year was 1886. When at business, Warburton sat in a high bare room which looked upon Little Ailey Street in Whitechapel. The air he breathed had a taste and odour strongly saccharine. If his eyes strayed to one of the walls, he saw a map of the West Indies. If to another, it fell upon a map of St. Kitts. If to the third, there was before him a plan of a sugar estate on that little island. Here he sat for certain hours of the solid day, issuing orders to clerks, receiving commercial callers, studying trade journals in sundry languages, often reading some book which had no obvious reference to the sugar refining industry. It was not Will's ideal of life, but hither he had suffered himself to be led by circumstance, and his musings suggested no practicable issue into a more congenial world. The death of his father when he was sixteen had left him with a certain liberty for shaping a career. What he saw definitely before him was a small share in the St. Kitts property of Messrs. Sherwood Brothers, a small share in the London business of the same firm, and a small sum of ready money. These things to be his when he attained his majority. His mother and sister, who lived in a little country house down in Huntingdonshire, were modestly but securely provided for, and Will might have gone quietly on with his studies till he could resolve upon a course in life. But no sooner was he freed from paternal restraint than the lad grew restive. Nothing would please him but an adventure in foreign lands. And when it became clear that he was only wasting his time at school, Mrs. Warburton let him go to the West Indies, where a place was found for him in the house of Sherwood Brothers. At St. Kitts, Will remained till he was one and twenty. Long before that, he had grown heartily tired of his work, disgusted with the climate, and oppressed with homesickness, but pride forbade him to return until he could do so as a free man. One thing this apprenticeship to life had taught him, that he was not made for subordination. I don't care how poor I am, thus he wrote to his mother, but I will be my own master. To be at other people's orders brings out all the bad in me. It makes me sullen and bearish and all sorts of ugly things, which I certainly am not when my true self has play. So, you see, I must find some independent way of life. If I had to live by carrying round a Punch and Judy show, I should vastly prefer it to making a large income as somebody's servant. Meanwhile, unfortunately for a young man of this temperament, his prospects had become less assured. There was perturbation in the sugar world. Income from St. Kitts and from Whitechapel had sensibly diminished, and it seemed but too likely would continue to do so. For some half-year Will lived in London, looking about him, then he announced that Godfrey Sherwood, at present sole representative of Sherwood Brothers, had offered him an active partnership in Little Ailey Street, and that he had accepted it. He entered upon this position without zeal, but six months' investigation had taught him that to earn money without surrendering his independence was no very easy thing. He probably might wait a long time before an opening would present itself more attractive than this at the sugar refinery. Godfrey Sherwood was a schoolfellow of his, but some two or three years older. Much good feeling existed between them, their tastes and tempers having just that difference in similarity which is the surest bond of friendship. Judged by his talk, Sherwood was all vigour, energy, fire. His personal habits, on the other hand, inclined to tranquillity and ease. A great reader, he loved the literature of romance and adventure, knew by heart authors such as Mallory and Froissart, had on his shelves all the books of travel and adventure he could procure. As a boy he seemed destined to any life save that of humdrum commerce, 
of which he spoke with contempt and abhorrence and there was no reason why he should not have gratified his desire of seeing the world of leading what he called the life of a man yet here he was sitting each day in a counting-house in whitechapel with nothing behind him but a few rambles on the continent and certainly with no immediate intention of going far afield his father's death left him in sole command of the business and his reasonable course would have been to retire from it as soon as possible for foreign competition was making itself felt in the english trade and many firms more solidly established than that in little ailey street had either come to grief or withdrawn from the struggle but godfrey's inertia kept him in this familiar routine with day-to-day postponement of practical decision when warburton came back from st kitts and their friendship was renewed godfrey's talk gave full play to his imaginative energies yes yes the refining business was at a bad pass just now but this was only temporary those firms that could weather the storm for a year or two longer would enter upon a time of brilliant prosperity was it to be supposed that the government would allow a great industry to perish out of mere regard for the fetish of free trade city men with first-hand information declared that measures were being prepared in one way or another the english trade would be rescued and made triumphant over these bounty-fed foreigners hold on cried sherwood of course i mean to hold on there's pleasure and honour in the thing i enjoy the fight i've had thoughts of getting into parliament to speak for sugar one might do worse you know there'll be a dissolution next year certain first-rate fun fighting a constituency but in that case i must have a partner here why that's an idea how would it suit you why not join me and so the thing came about the terms which godfrey offered were so generous that will had to reduce them before he accepted even thus he found his income at a stroke all but doubled sherwood to be sure did not stand for parliament nor was anything definite heard about that sugar protecting budget which he still believed in in little ailey street business steadily declined it's a disgrace to england cried godfrey monstrous that not a finger should be lifted to save one of our most important industries you of course are free to retire at any moment will for my own part here i stand come what may if it's ruin ruin let it be i'll fight to the last a man owes me ten thousand pounds when i recover it and i may any day i shall put every penny into the business ten thousand pounds exclaimed warburton in astonishment a trade debt do you mean no no a friend of mine son of a millionaire who got into difficulties some time ago and borrowed of me to clear himself good interest and principal safe as consoles in a year at most i shall have the money back and every penny shall go into the business will had his private view of the matter and not seldom suffered a good deal of uneasiness as he saw the inevitable doom approach but already it was too late to withdraw his share from the concern that would have been merely to take advantage of sherwood's generosity and will was himself not less chivalrous in godfrey's phrase they continued to fight the ship and perhaps would have held out to the moment of sinking had not the accession of the liberals to power in the spring of this present year caused sherwood so deep a disgust that he turned despondent and began to talk of surrender to hopeless circumstance it's all up with us will this government spells ruin and will count it one of its chief glories if we come to grief but by heaven they shan't have that joy we'll square up quietly comfortably with dignity we'll come out of this fight with arms and baggage it's still possible you know we'll sell the st kitts estate to the germans we'll find someone to buy us up here the place would suit a brewer and then by jove we'll make jam jam isn't it an idea cheap sugar has done for the refiners but it's a fortune for the jam trade why not put all we can realize into a jam factory 
we'll go down into the country find some delightful place where land is cheap start a fruit farm run up a building doesn't it take you will think of going to business every day through lanes overhung with fruit tree blossoms better that than the filth and stench and gloom and uproar of whitechapel what we might found a village for our workpeople the ideal village perfectly healthy every cottage beautiful eh what how does it strike you will pleasant but the money we shall have enough to start i think we shall if not we'll find a moneyed man to join us what about that ten thousand pounds suggested warburton sherwood shook his head can't get it just yet to tell you the truth it depends on the death of the man's father no but if necessary someone will easily be found isn't the idea magnificent how it would rile the government if they heard of it ho ho one could never be sure how far godfrey was serious when he talked like this the humorous impulse so blended with the excitability of his imagination that people who knew him little and heard him talking at large thought him something of a crack-brain the odd thing was that with all his peculiarities he had many of the characteristics of a sound man of business indeed had it been otherwise the balance sheets of the refinery must long ago have shown a disastrous deficit as warburton knew things had been managed with no little prudence and sagacity what he did not so clearly understand was that sherwood had simply adhered to the traditions of the firm following very exactly the path marked out for him by his father and his uncle both notable traders concerning godfrey's private resources warburton knew little or nothing it seemed probable that the elder sherwood had left a considerable fortune which his only son must have inherited no doubt said will to himself this large reserve was the explanation of his partner's courage so the st kitts estate was sold and with all the deliberate dignity demanded by the fact that the government's eye was upon them sherwood brothers proceeded to terminate their affairs in whitechapel in july warburton took his three weeks holiday there being nothing better for him to do and among the letters he found on his table when he returned was one from sherwood which contained only these words great opportunity in view our fortunes are made End of chapter 3. Recording by Julian Prattley.